Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. And our guest this week is a director, producer, podcast, a memorabilia collector, an Emmy-winning comedy writer, and a man who has listened to and enjoyed this very podcast. So there goes any respect we might have had for the guy. Right <laughs> off the bat. Uh, you know... His outstanding writing and directing work from so many comedy films and TV shows include Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Clerks, uh, Clerks the Animated Series, The Comedians, and movies like Eurotrip and The Dictator, the HBO movie Clear History, and, of course, Seinfeld, for which he scripted or co-scripted memorable episodes like Bizarro Jerry, The Friars Club, The Buttershave, The Puerto Rican Day. He also served as a showrunner on the multiple Emmy-winning series Veep, writing and directing several episodes, including the critically acclaimed for now. In, uh, in a career that started way back at the Harvard Lampoon, he's gone to direct and write for and work for dozens of comedy icons, including Larry David, Al Franken, Phil Hartman, Sasha Baron Cohen, Lorne Michaels, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Martin Mull, and podcast guests Michael McKeon and Bob Einstein, and the biggest star of all, Gilbert Gottfried. (laughs) He's also a comedy historian and a lover of Abbott and Costello and the Marx Brothers, and a genuine horror and sci-fi geek who penned the classic Planet of the Apes sketches on the Charlton Heston episode of Saturday Night Live, as well as the Treehouse of Horror, episode 23, Halloween episode of The Simpsons. He's one of the authors of the two-volume Star Wars art, Ralph McQuarrie, and he's an avid collector of classic movie props and artwork, which he talks all about on his new podcast, The Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of. <laughs> nice. Please welcome to the show an artist with too many talents to list and a man who's enjoyed a vastly different outcome from working with Larry David than I did. <laughs> David Mandel. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Hi, David. Hi. Hi. Welcome. So first, David, before anything else, say what a big fan you are and how many times you've seen me. <laughs> I am a giant, huge fan. I have been dying to do this show. I have been inquiring how I might do this show with you guys. Um, I, I used to. I grew up in. I grew up in New York City. I grew up on 70th and West End. My folks are still there, and. Um, I was I was always a comedy kid, but I used to I slept down to that oh that horrible Southport Sea uh, uh, South Street oh, Seaport yeah. 
to the Carolines down, down there. I saw you down there for the first time. Then I saw you again. I think I saw you twice. I saw once down there and then twice uh, in the Times Square one at two different times. And, uh, and, I, and I, I, I used to have, I still have actually, believe it or not, uh, the VHS of your special, uh, the Airstream trailer and the Flamingos. And I know it like, I don't want to say backwards and forwards, but at least forwards. I honestly do. Uh, I just honestly, a huge fan. I make sure I listen to Stern when you're on. Just this is honestly, truly, this is, I'm th- beyond thrilled to be here. This is fantastic. Too well, sweet. They, you're too they sweet. Is, this is all I want to talk about. <laughs> uh, you know, fuck you and your career. Just <laughs> you tell me that's how fine. Let's just talk about uh, the uh, Humphrey Bogart's one-word impression in a hospital when he's trying to buy uh, a stuffed animal in the gift shop. Oh, oh H- Humphrey Bogart in the post office. Damn. <laughs> and Humphrey Bogart buying a cute stuffed animal. Snoopy. That's it. That's it. That's it. My That's life it. is Gil, made. Gil, do you even remember the name of that special? The one with the, the uh, flamingos? I think it was called Greetings from Gilbert. There you go. He's got a VHS of it. <laughs> oh, and, and, and Humphrey Bogart telling you who his favorite of the Little Rascals were. Shiny. <laughs> And hold on, I got one. I got one other one I want to ask you about, which is because I, again, a huge fan. There used to be on like Sirius Radio, you know, Sirius XM. There was yes. one of these. Yeah, we're on there. Okay, so there was the, there was some other show that would interview comedians, and they used to play this clip of you getting interviewed, where it was always like you being asked like who your favorite person to work with was, and your answer was. Bud Abbott, do you remember that answer? <laughs> <laughs> and they used to play that as a clip, and I was obsessed with it because I could never find the actual episode. So all I remember was the Bud Abbott answer. Anyway, so I'm truly dating myself, but anyway, there you go. <laughs> do you remember well, doing that interview? Who else would date you? So. <laughs> do you remember doing that at all, Gilbert, that interview oh, on God, Sirius? No, I tried to block out everything that I've done right after I say it. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I should tell you what this thing where where I say in the in the intro um, that uh, uh, you had a vastly different outcome working with Larry David. So what <laughs> happened is I did a, sh- a pilot with Larry David called uh, Norman's Corner. And and he wrote it, and it it was so bad <laughs> that when they were trying to get Seinfeld on the air, uh, the one of the NBC execs said, "And who's going to be writing this show?" And they said, "Larry David." And the exec said, "Wait a minute, isn't he that guy that wrote that piece of shit for Gilbert Gottfried?" <laughs> So I almost, that show was so bad, it almost stopped Jerry Seinfeld's career. <laughs> it retroactively aborted the Seinfeld show. That's okay, yeah. Well, Arnold Stang's very good in it, Gil. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I asked them to get Arnold Stang, and yeah. they got him. 
He's I, a standout. I couldn't believe. I, I, I need to ask. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ask, interview you. What was Norman's corner? What was the? What was the? Uh, what was the log line, as they say in the biz? What? What? What was it about? Okay. Well, when they, they that was their idea. When they originally uh, started the idea, I was Norman, and I had a newsstand. And and they originally their first idea was at the newsstand. The people who stop by the newsstand are all comics who are doing their bits, as they, and so and that which sounded horrible. <laughs> and like, were they doing their bits like out of the newspaper, like Mort Saul style, like like, maybe, like off you of know, headlines? Maybe okay, or maybe they just walk over and say, <laughs> "Hi, Norma, I want some gum." Hey, what about cab drivers nowadays, huh? <laughs> and and so then Larry rewrote it, and it it was <laughs> it was not salvageable. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say about Larry when we had Susie Essman on the show, Gil? Tell, give David, and I'm sure he he's heard this, but give him a little background about seeing Larry on stage, and particularly oh. that that heckler story. Yes. Larry, you know, he he went on stage angry just walking out. You know, before they even introduced him, he was ready for a fight. So so one time, I remember in particular, he was on stage and he got into a big argument with this guy in a big fight back and forth. And the guy says, oh, yeah, your mother fucks my dog. And Larry said, well, I bet your dog doesn't enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) And you said to Susie that back then, and I think Susie echoed this, that you thought Larry would end up one of two ways. Yes. Is that that correct? He he would either be a multi-billionaire or he'd be sleeping on the subway. (laughs) (laughs) We We know the outcome. When uh, I was just gonna say, I've heard different versions. Not that I haven't heard that story. I've heard some of his other fights, but I've also I've never seen his full stand-up. I've only heard bits and pieces, like um, like where he sort of agrees with Hitler about magicians. He hates magicians. Like that was a sec. I know that right. was like a like a hunk of his act and a couple other pieces. And the Jonas Salk piece. Yes, it, and it we yeah. used to he. we for a while, and I don't know if he'll ever do it, he was thinking about maybe getting back up on stage and doing stand-up again. I don't know if he ever will, but he's definitely every now and then talks about it, is, is about as much as I can say. But uh, I, I wonder if he ever will. But uh, I guess now he would have the less of an audience looking to fight with him, I guess, these days. So, but oh, I'd see, say now so. yeah. it would be in all over the internet saying uh, Larry uh, threatened somebody right. in the audience <laughs> and they got into a fist fight right. in a parking lot. <laughs> he would insult the audience, wouldn't he? If they, uh, if yeah. they, were, they he, weren't smart enough to get the material? He said, yeah, he, he hated the audience. He said sometimes he, got, he would like see them and even before he got out there, he just was like, they're not going to like this. They're not going to get this. They're not going to understand this and just yeah. got angry at them before he got out there. But that's, yeah, it's why, mean, it's why Bell has stories like that, too, about I mean, watching Larry that, but on that's, stage. I mean, forget about the stage. That's him. I mean, we had the story, and I told this to Frank, but I'll tell you. Like, we were we were in New York to do Curb. We did a, we did a back end of a season of Curb in New York, and we went to Yankee Stadium, 
And we go to the Yankee game. You know, Yankees are winning middle of the game. They put Larry up on the on the you know the the diamond vision, and they play the curb music. And, you know, fifty thousand fans just go you know just fucking crazy. Like 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 oh my god, Larry! Like it was like the the Pope was there. They go nuts. The game ends. We're crossing the street to get to our car. The car's on the other side of the street. We're crossing the street. Some jackass drives by and like yells like, "Hey, Larry, you suck!" And that's all he can remember from that evening. It's not. <laughs> Not, not the 50,000 fans and his music playing in Yankee Stadium. It was just that one guy. So, yeah. Fantastic. I, I remember walking down the street with Larry uh, David on Lower Broadway, and coming in our direction was this black homeless guy. And his clothes were all, t- it, it looked like he had pee and shit stains from years ago. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, we, you know, we both saw him, and uh, I thought, like, because I was getting known at the time, and I thought, oh, shit, he's going to come over to me, and oh, I, I love Problem Child, oh, I can't. <laughs> and he, he walks past me and throws his arms around Larry David, <laughs> <laughs> and he smells horrible, and he throws his arms around him and goes, Larry David from Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> that should have shown up in a Curb episode. Because that was the president of the network who greenlit Fridays. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell Gilbert, we, we were on the phone, uh, David. I was, giving him, I was giving him some heads up about some of these things. Tell, tell the Ken Jong thing, too, from Curb. Oh, yeah. That, that's Larry in character. Well, you know, the, everyone's always like, what's Larry like? What's Larry's like? You know, that's, that's always the big thing. What's he really like? You know, you get a, I get a lot of that when I, when I do stuff, whatever. And, you know, what people don't understand is most of the time, like, TV Larry says the things that, like, real Larry thinks of but doesn't actually say in real life but, like, writes them down as a note and we make a Curb episode out of them. But then sometimes when we're shooting and he's, like, in an argument or in a scene, he actually does get angry, but the other guy in the scene has no idea. So a couple of years ago, we were doing an episode with uh, Ken Jong, and it was, like, one of the first... It was before Ken Jong was known. He At that point, I think he was still, like, a doctor, but he was dabbling in comedy so this is one of his first jobs and it was this scene where larry's dry cleaner has like he thinks the dry cleaner has like stolen his like jersey and then he sees ken jong wearing the jersey and thinks that's his jersey so he goes to get in a fight with him and the only thing you know because it's all kind of ad-libbed was you know to ken jong was fight back you know it, you know you can you can fight back attack me you know verbally and so, of course, they, the scene starts, but all of a sudden, Ken Jong kind of gets to kind of like an age thing, which is a real, like, that's the one thing you don't do with Larry. And so, at one point, he calls him like a, a George Washington-looking motherfucker or something like that, <laughs> at which point, Larry, Larry gets really pissed, but he's in the scene getting, but he, so he's really angry, and we're all sitting there by the monitors going... Uh oh, he's pissed. And like, so like, so Ken thinks it's a scene, but Larry's fucking furious at him, kind of screaming at him, like, you know, what are you saying that for? And it's like, but it, it wasn't acting; it was just re- that was Larry. It was just real Larry. And that'll happen every now and then in a given season, uh, which was just always really, really funny. Yeah, hilarious. No, he's he's a method. Actor. Yeah, method, method. That's exactly it. Method. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, how much of uh, Curb is uh, is written, and how much is left for everyone to ad lib? It's kind of a. It's basically we have like the episode usually kind of is like a like a twelve or thirteen page like document, like an outline, and in that outline of each scene, there will be the key pieces of dialogue that need to be said for the story to go. So like the bigger pieces of dialogue. And then usually from when we're talking about it, we've got other things that we've sort of written down, but not put in the outline so that we get the, we, we do the scene. And as soon as we do it the first time, um, myself and the other writer guys, we kind of rush in and sort of start pitching these as the stuff we have written down as ideas. So it's a, it's a give and take It kind of like, we hear the improv, then we kind of live rewrite on top of it, and then they take what we've sort of thrown at them and kind of improv off of that. And then sometimes a couple of takes in, we'll go try something different. Or honestly, I remember one time we were uh, we were doing a scene with Larry and Jeff, and I think like Jeff accidentally picked up the wrong water, and that became the scene because it was like, I'm not going to drink that now. And then all of a sudden, what was a scene off of this like little accident becomes this really funny thing about, well, now we got to get two new waters. You know, it became this whole thing about the water, um, you know, and it, so the whole thing just became this other thing, which was just pure improv, which is, you know, that that's sort of what's really interesting about it. So like you're ready to go it. with it. You're ready yeah. to go with it if like it happens. I said, it feels like a live rewrite. That's It feels like you're doing live TV, only you're not. But yeah. The late, I, great Bob, uh, Bob Einstein was on this show. Yeah. And by the way, he was, I was just going to say, he was another guy who obviously beyond hilarious, but also occasionally would get Larry, like real life Larry annoyed at him when they were doing (laughs) scenes together. (laughs) (laughs) To to, to do it purposely because they had such an adversarial relationship, Larry and Funkhauser? I'm not sure that, I'm not sure that Bob realized sometimes that he was pissing Larry off, like whether it was sometimes just the way he like did something in a scene or like, you know, like I don't just little things that were bothering, but the one time, and I, I think uh, I told you this story, Frank. Um, in this, we did the Seinfeld reunion episode, and um, in the episode, Funkhauser shows up at the table read, I guess uninvited, and I remember. so TV Larry is supposed to not be happy, but then Bob basically wanted to tell Jerry a joke in the scene, which. Real life, Larry, I started to get annoyed that the joke was going on so long. And it was that just killer joke about um, the P.S. your cunts in the sink. You know that? Sure. Yeah. That, that, yeah he that, told that, yeah. it here. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> I mean, it's just killer. And he goes on and on with the romantic love, whatever, whatever. And it's really long. But, man, Jerry laughed for real because Jerry had no idea it was coming. And Jerry laughs for real. And that's a genuine reaction. And Larry went with it. But if you look at the scene, Larry is genuinely annoyed that it's taking <laughs> so long. That's, I guess, it just was really funny to see. we got to uh, go back and yeah. watch those, Gil, just to see the real Larry losing his <laughs> yeah. shit. I remember I used to uh, That's great. Uh, talk to Larry, and, and our conversation, 99% of our conversation was exchanging our latest horror stories <laughs> on us trying to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's your show. There's your show. Exactly. And I, I remember one story. I think he was going to meet a girl at Tavern on the Green, and somehow he accidentally 
sat down on a big pile of dog shit. <laughs> and then went in Tavern on the Green to sneak into the men's room to clean it off. And I think they uh, sent security in to kick him out. I'm surprised that wasn't a Costanza plot. I know, that it, sounds oh, like, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, you know, all the great episodes of both, I think, honestly, Curb and Seinfeld were usually either, obviously, Larry's stories of his own or, like, you would kind of get hired by pitching your stuff. You know what I mean? Like, here's shit that happened. Here are my stories about not getting, you know, with a girl. And that's how you get hired, honestly. Like, you get hired off of... Your, your sort of your real-life stories to some extent. Oh, it was I mean, a Carl yeah. Reiner method in a way, the yeah. old Van Dyke show. Yeah. He used to encourage the writers. What, hap- what happened to you this week? When I first got hired at the show, um, I, had, I moved from New York very suddenly. I, I didn't drive. I was you know, taking taxis because you know, I was a New Yorker. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and I, I kind of got there, and I was there for a little bit. And early on, at some point, he was kind of like, you know, why don't you go back to New York? You can go get your stuff and whatever, and it'll give you a chance to kind of think of stuff. And it did. It was like I got to go back to New York. I got to kind of, like, get my stuff and settle some stuff, whatever. But, like, just even on that trip, you know, like one or two odd things happened. I kind of came back and just felt like, okay, here's some stuff that happened that, like, you know, like real stuff that was good. Like, that would happen all the time. We would kind of take these little New York trips, and then stuff that happened during the trips would go into the show. Yeah. You're talking about Curb now or Seinfeld? Both. Uh, Seinfeld right. originally, but yes, Curb right. too, yeah. Right. Now, uh, you wrote the now, uh, I guess it would be the infamous uh, Puerto Rican Day. Well, I'm going to I'm, I'm gonna stop there for one second. I'm going to stop <laughs> okay. you. I'm gonna stop you. Okay. This, this is true. This is all true. We all shared the credit on the it was It was the second to last episode of Seinfeld, so all the writers, we shared the credit on the whole episode. But what I, But what I was going to say is, it happened to me. I was driving back from Boston, Massachusetts with my college roommate, and we dropped one guy off in the village and headed, on the, uh, headed up the east side and got stuck on Madison Avenue for four fucking hours because of the Puerto Rican Day Parade. We were trapped. And the difference in the show was people get out of the car, but I couldn't get out of the car. There was nowhere to go. I couldn't leave the guy I was with. And I was fucking trapped in that stupid Puerto Rican Day parade, which, of course, you know, became a whole to do. But it really happened to me. Hilarious. That's the thing. It really happened. Yeah. Hilarious. What about man but, hands? People would be interested to know where that came from, too, which is great. Um, from, she, from Bizarro yeah, Jerry episode. She, uh, she, she hates this, but I've told it publicly so I can tell it again. My wife, I told you, you know, I grew up in New York, and I have, yeah. I have the hands. I've never done an honest day's work in my life. I have the, the hands of a young baby prince, basically. They're, they're smooth <laughs> and beautiful. Um, and my wife grew up in Maine on a farm, basically, and farmed and has rough, dry hands. And she used to call them her farmy hands. They were, they're normal hands. They're fine hands, but they're... They're rough. She puts cream on them. And she calls them farmy. And I basically, I took her farmy hands and turned it into man hands. And we cast uh, Kristen Bauer as the actress and then like literally had one of the grips basically do the hands. So it really was these just meaty paws, you know, touching Jerry's face and stuff. And that that's it. That's where it came from. And like that's what I mean by 
you sort of pull from your own life and change it a little bit, make it a little worse, and that's a that's an episode of Seinfeld, basically. Jillian, hi. It's very nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> She had man hands. Man hands? The hands of a man. It's like a creature out of Greek mythology. I mean, she was like part woman, part horrible beast. Would you prefer it if she had no hands at all? Or would she have hooks? Do, uh, do hooks make it more attractive, Jerry? Kind of cool looking. Listen, you're picking me up in White Plains tomorrow, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got five huge boxes of buttons. Right. Well, if you need an extra set of hands, I know you can call. Jerry! George the and Animal Steel. George the Animal Steel, exactly. <laughs> yeah. What I always think when I watch Seinfeld, uh, according to the script, there's not one Jew <laughs> on the show. <laughs> It's such a Jewy show, but the Costanzas, who are the ultimate in a Jewish family, are, of course, Italian. Well, I think they may have at one point said half and half. They might have he was Italian, which he wasn't. And maybe they made her Jewish. I'm not I can't honestly. But yeah, so Jewish. Yeah. And, and uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus always came across yeah. like a Jewish girl. <laughs> we had we had Jason here. We gave him shit about that too. <laughs> we will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Any any stories at all about the the, the late great Jerry Stiller who we lost last year? Oh man, he the the thing about him. I mean, sweet guy. Just I mean, obviously, just yeah, a really much sweet much guy. beloved yeah, guy. Yeah, just such a sweet guy, but. And I don't think he would care if you said this, you know, especially in the later seasons, you know, he definitely like struggled with his lines, but mm -hmm. it was sometimes out of those struggles that like crazy shit came out of his, his <laughs> mouth. And so there was one time where he was supposed to say, he was talking about the condos that they're living in and he's angry, I think at the Seinfelds. And so he's angry about, phase two of the condos at Del Boca Vista. So, but in the scene, he's like Del Bica Baca and Del Bista Boca. And, and, and honestly, <laughs> you, 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 we couldn't get through it. I mean, Julia was on the ground. Jason was on the ground because yeah, he was just like yeah. Del Bica Bista. And you just, <laughs> kind of, and, and I mean, it's like, I can't tell you how funny it was. And honestly, for most people that were on the show, and again, none of I, I don't pretend to have known him that well. I bet you that that Del Bicabista is like everybody's favorite memory of that of, of that period of his life. God, it's it it, so it funny. sounds like it sounds like Jason had genuine affection for the oh man that he really just oh really loved. Yeah. He really loved him. The, and it's so yeah. funny that uh, Jerry Stiller. Late in life, had this whole second career. Yeah, this renaissance. Seinfeld, this rebirth, yeah. King of Queens. Yep, he did. He was bigger than ever. He sure did. Yeah. Talk about Bizarro, uh, uh, Jerry. 
Um, Dave, well, which which combines your two passions, yeah, comedy I mean, and Superman. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a huge. I, I've been a you know, I've been a. I, I was I was a, I've been a comic collector, you know, probably all my life. And then when comic collecting didn't wasn't nerdy enough, I got into original comic art collecting, which are the hand drawn pages of the actual comic book. So I have a giant collection of that stuff that I I love. Um, and um, the, the 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 Bizarro episode, which those sort of '60s Superman stories were my favorites, like where. Bizarro, or like there was the one where Superman split in half and he became there was a red Superman and a blue Superman, or he'd shrink down and go into the bottle city of Candor, or just those real crazy sort of 60s stories. But Bizarro was my absolute favorite. And we, I'd been working on this idea of Elaine sort of dating a guy that was actually sort of nice that like basically the original idea came out of the idea of you know that kind of cliche of where someone says like look maybe we should break up but let's be friends and they don't mean it the idea was what if there was a guy that actually meant it they didn't want to date but he legitimately wanted to be her friend and and it at the time it was a little bit of a comment on friends the show dare i say mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. and it, you know there's a line in there where someone says like who the fuck wants another friend like it was sort of about Friend, like, who the fuck wants a friend? But the idea was this guy wants to be a friend. And from that, it beca- I, I started to land on this idea of, like, well, what if he's Jerry's opposite? He's Jerry's bizarro Superman. And when I pitched it like that to Jerry, because that, uh, that was the first season without Larry. So it was uh, the season where Jerry was kind of doing it himself with our, with our help. But he was kind of running things. And Jerry was a big, you know, not just a big Superman comic guy, guy but sure. also a Superman guy. And the second I pitched it, he was just like, oh, yeah, run with it. And really, like, things like, you know, even like at the end of the episode where there's a moment where they talk in Bizarro speak and say, me so happy, me want to cry. That was Jerry going, go for it. Just go for it. Like, and just go for it. Um, and and it, I just, it's, you know, I, I, for a, I, I laugh for a while, like, you know. Like, you know, we used to joke like like there'd one day be like these like like sort of Seinfeld conventions where Jerry wouldn't be there and Julia and, you know, Jason and Michael wouldn't be there. But it'd be like the guy that played the soup Nazi and the, you know, me who wrote the the Bizarro. <laughs> that'd be our that's that, that, that's our claim to fame. It'd be like the worst convention ever. Larry, yeah. Larry Thomas, the soup Nazi. Yes, exactly. He's, he's, exactly. Do, he's doing he's doing gangbusters on cameo. There you go. There you go. <laughs> And, yeah, and because- he's become a star, that guy. <laughs> Gilbert, tell uh, tell David, since he's such a Superman guy, who you voiced, the character you oh, gave. I, I know the a, answer to this. I know the answer cartoons. to this. Yep. He knows. Oh, you know. I know, yeah. yeah. Uh, my f- Mishies Picklick. Yep, exactly. Which, for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I always pronounced as just Mixelplick. But anyway, I'll, oh, I'll defer ev- to you. I'll defer ev- to everybody you. has yeah. a different <laughs> pronunciation. <laughs> And and also, I appeared on a Superboy, at least two Superboy episodes. That was live action. Oh, I remember as, that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as Knickknack. Oh, that's so funny. But no, you're 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 whatever, however he pronounces it. Because I I I love that version of Superman. That's the Superman animated show. God, that was really really good. And um, you both now, wrote a now, comic book too. What was your? Oh com- yes, I your wrote comic one book? comic book. What was your comic book? It was uh, one uh, one Superman comic book. I think and, it's a uh, super. It's a Superboy, isn't it, Gil? Yeah, I don't know. No, it's a, a Superboy. Was the TV show I appeared on? This was the comic oh. book. Was 
Superman. I stand corrected. I'm going to have here's, to I'm going to have to Here's something I remember <laughs> about the Superman comics that I don't remember the actual word, but certain ones would be you know, they'd call it something like an imaginary. Yes, an imaginary tale where it would be like what if he married Lois and they had three super babies? They would go it would be like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, that always struck me as bullshit. You know? Well, it just seemed like they ran out of stories at a certain yeah. point. Yeah, you know, it was just I, like, I just, yeah. I love when, whenever Superman got worked into Seinfeld, like when he races the guy and the girlfriend yeah. is named oh, Lois. Yes. Just, it's just great. We also had, uh, we got to ask you too, we had Pat Cooper here, and oh. you, wrote the, you wrote the Friars Club episode yeah. with the jacket. Uh, the, the, did, did did you interact with Pat? I, I interacted a little bit. You know, I, I will admit, and this is where I, I regret it now is the honest answer of like, again, I know, I you know, I, I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the writer on the episode and all of these things, but like, I just couldn't believe we got Pat Cooper and like, I was coyish and coquettishly shy and just didn't take advantage of, you know, talking his ear off. I got to listen when he would tell stories. But I, I feel like, you know, like, like, you know, years later, you just go, God damn it. Why didn't I make him like my best friend in the world and hang with him? You know what I mean? Like, I was stupid. But God, he told just, he, you know, every time we took a break, the, you know, it was just him telling stories. I mean, that was it. It was just like, when, yeah. When he was on the podcast, our, our biggest job was <laughs> to try to get a word in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You might have dodged a bullet, Dave, by not becoming his buddy. I know, I know, but, you know, for a, a minute, for a minute, it would have been nice to have been his buddy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you grew up, uh, you know, you told me you grew up listening to comedy albums. You grew up here on on, on the west side, upper yeah. west side, and, you're, and your mom introduced you to all these comedy albums. So a guy like Pat Cooper had to be a hero. Yeah. I mean, as I, well as Port Mort Saul and Bob Newhart and yeah. all these people you grew up listening to. No, exactly. It's like, and, you know, Vaughn Meter, first family. You know what oh, I mean? Vaughn yeah, yeah, Meter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah. Like, my, I got my bag, basically, of my mom's old comedy albums. And there was Tom Lehrer and First Family and Mort Saul. And by the way, I don't know if this is going to make you feel better or worse, Gilbert. I used to go see Mort Saul a lot too when he kind of had his various he would kind of he would kind of do like a every five, every 4 or 8 years like usually during a presidential year, he'd kind of do like a little mini tour and he had one joke that he used to update every like 4 years and tell the same joke but change the names of the people in the joke, which I loved. It was a joke about isn't there anyone in the party that isn't that isn't like John Kennedy, yeah, Ted Kennedy. That was the joke, but he would change the who was in it each time. It was always, I don't know, it made me laugh that, that, that it was like his one joke that he kind of kept with him over the years. But you anyway, know, Mort's yeah. still with us, and uh, Tom Lehrer's in his 90s. I think he's 92 or 93. I knew Mort Saul was alive. I didn't realize yeah. Tom Lehrer was yeah. still alive. Yeah, he's oh, in wow. his 90s. Oh, wow. He's in his 90s, yeah. I mean, Vaughn Meter is, we've talked about Vaughn Meter on this show, Gilbert, a, tr a, a real tragic story. Yeah, uh, but but that album, you know, it, and it even holds up today. Did you have the Alan Sherman records too? I had a couple of the Alan Sherman with like, because uh, my my mom loved all the the camp stuff, the summer the summer camp like. Oh, hello, yeah. Mada. Hello, yeah, hello, Fada. Yes, that was it. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah. yeah, 
all that stuff too. I wouldn't we jump around, but Gilbert and I were talking about Saturday Night Live last week. I love to torture Gilbert by bringing up his season of SNL. Uh, yeah, it was pretty. It was bad, even by bad Saturday Night Live season. It was still bad. Are you? Are you? And they've had of a, a lot of horrible seasons, but gonna... I think mine uh, beats them all. I, the the ultimate test for Dave as a as a Seinfeld uh, as a as a Gottfried fan is could you endure Gilbert's season of SNL? I, here's where I'm going to be. This is going to be sad. Now I'm I'm embarrassed. I definitely watched it, and yet I'm not sure I can remember a single thing you were in. So there you go. That, is that does that seem right? Well, is that I'm right? very happy about. <laughs> is that is that spot on? Well, I, you know, I'm I'm happy for. Any one of my bits from that season that people have forgotten. <laughs> I heard you talking about your time on SNL on another podcast, Dave. And you were saying that you you weren't great at the politics. You weren't great at like warm, warming up to cast members or or getting cast members on your team. Gilbert feels that, that the writers were actually out to get him. It's very possible, by the way. It's <laughs> yeah, very... they they wrote to show how much me and the writers hated each other. <laughs> There was one sketch on the show where they it was a funeral sketch and they wrote me in as the dead body in the coffin. <laughs> Did you have to stay mo- was the camera yes, on you yes, the entire time? Yes, I had to stay motionless, you know, they could have gotten uh they 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 could have gotten like a department store mannequin and and it would have worked even better. Uh, but no, they wanted me dead in a coffin. And also, they liked the department store mannequin more. They thought he was a better yeah. cast member. So yeah. <laughs> talk talk about. We just had Dana Gould on the show, and we 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 did a whole Planet of the Apes thing, which we and we know you share our love. You must know Dana. Yeah, I know. He, I know he, Dana well, and I know he loves been, all the things you love. Yeah. I actually, I had an idea actually, and it's a little bit sort of Jerry related, but you guys maybe will appreciate it. And I always, and I know Dane has now done his own Planet of the Apes stuff, so I think I've uh, missed the boat. It's wonderful. The but talk I, show's wonderful. I always had this idea for uh, like that I wanted to film, but it was always like, how do I do this? How do I do this? And I never did. And it was going to be sort of an observational comic on the Planet of the Apes. Like, so if you <laughs> went to an ape stand-up club on the Planet of the Apes, and it would be a lot of like, why do they call it the Forbidden Zone? Like that kind of a thing. Because <laughs> if you don't want me to go there, don't call it the Forbidden Zone. It, like, it, was, it was sort of a Jerry Seinfeld riff on the Apes uh, planet, but uh, I it's never great. quite figured it out. But uh, yeah, no, Dana, Dana, Dana... Dana drops a. Re- I mean, you guys together must have been insane because uh, oh, yeah, Dana's, we'll Dana's references be- are just beyond me. The 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 guy who played you know Thug Number Four in some horror movie you know that worked the Mummy's henchman Number Eight and he he's knows ob- that he's guy's obsessive. name. Yeah, it's one. He's obsessive. Oh, yeah. You you know what I just thought of as a possible guest if she's alive and if she's worked on anything else in her career. Uh, the uh, girl that becomes the girlfriend. Linda Harrison? Is that who you're thinking oh, was of? Was that it? Was yeah. One she, one play, yeah, who plays Nova. Yeah, she, yeah, yeah. Wasn't she, wasn't she Richard Zanuck's wife yeah, or something Yeah, she was like? somebody's girlfriend or wife Somebody's in real girlfriend life. or yeah. Daryl Zanuck's wife? Yeah. Daryl Zanuck's young wife or something like that? Yeah. She's around, Gil. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> I want to get her and I want to get uh, Papillon Susu. The, the, she's the Vietnamese girl from Full Metal Jacket. So you know that's you know that's going to be a 90-minute. Maybe, maybe, so maybe that's one show together. Yeah, you want to party Vietnam? Matthew. You want to party Vietnam? Yeah, I, no, I know, I know who T- she is. Tell tell us about tell us about doing the Heston thing. Uh, Dana Dana had a good experience of Charlton Heston, and you there you are in SNL, a young writer, and I mean, you have to pitch you have to pitch to the hosts. You know, again, and I, I will actually I give I give it actually a tremendous amount of credit. Like, I was actually thinking about this the other day that I still actually can't believe that like Lorne let me do this. I mean, I honestly I, I honestly can't because. Basically, I pitched this idea that he falls asleep in his dressing room at the beginning of the show, and when he wakes up, it's been, you know, however many years, he's got a full beard, you know, like the way he does in the movie. He goes to sleep without the beard, and he wakes up full beard, and the show is now hosted and I'm not hosted, starring all apes. It's basically a sketch show of apes, and they're doing some of the <laughs> SNL sketches of the time, like the copy guy. Well, it's great. You know, great. But it's apes. And then once you know they do live from New York, they throw a net over him and they go live from New York at Saturday night. Take you know, take your stinking paws off me. Live from New York at Saturday night. We roll into the credits and we reshot the entire credit sequence. With apes, apes roller skating, apes like looking at the camera, you know, in New York City. And it's so like, good. you know, and it's starring General Urko, Cornelius, Zira, and, you know, musical <laughs> guest, singing human Paul Westerberg. And then for the monologue, it keeps going. Two apes bring out Heston in handcuffs, and he is, it's an all ape audience asking him questions about how can it's he great. speak. And I, I still. And, and, and this was the other cool thing. We tracked down this guy who I now know through collecting a little bit, a guy named Fuller French, who had bought all of the apes' costumes at a Western costume auction. And we br- flew him in with his costumes. And so all the background extras are wearing actual costumes from the movies and TV shows, which is just, I, I just insane. Yeah. It's great to watch. Frank was telling me that you have a separate apartment yeah. for your collectible <laughs> items. <laughs> it's does. my it's my pre-marriage condo, basically. Where, by the way, right now I have uh, uh, the half statue of the lawgiver, the ape lawgiver. I have one, yes. the, the real one of those. Bless and, your heart. And an ape gorilla soldier uh, mounted on a full mannequin. So I have both of those things in my collection. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I remember somebody sent me, and I guess they were selling these or auctioning them off, uh, allegedly a piece of Bela Lugosi's cape. Oh, like, a little, like think, a little square kind of a thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and you kind of think, well, when I got that, I thought, well, wouldn't the entire cape be worth a lot yeah. more? Then ripping it into pieces, so I thought this has got to be bullshit. Yeah, I that's those. I mean, again, I, I yeah, I'm gonna say bullshit too, because uh, yeah, why would you cut that up? But yeah, yeah, he does. And, he's not really a collector, David, but he has some nice life masks. He's got a you, he's got a Lon Chaney life mask. What else, Gil? Yeah, Lon Chaney Jr., oh, wow. Beta Lugosi, uh, Vincent Price, and Al Pacino. And Pacino. Yeah, yeah the, that, yeah, was, that was that uh, was from the movie Heaven and Costello Meet Al Pacino. Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tony Montana. 
<laughs> and one time I I used to read Famous Monsters of Film Live sure, sure. as a kid. And they said that Lon Chaney Jr. wasn't feeling well, and they gave an address that you could send him. Uh, and so I sent him a get well card. And and I got back uh, like a postcard-sized picture of the Wolfman, and it signed Lon Chaney on it. Not bad. There you go. Not bad. That's, only, that's yeah. his only collectible. Dave started his collecting, do I have this right, kind of s- s- snatching stuff from the Seinfeld set and bringing it home? <laughs> ish. Let's say ish, 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 ish. ish. Yeah, ish. yeah. Took uh, a couple of things. Couple Gilbert, of things, you, yeah. you, Gilbert, you didn't take stuff from sets. Just, just you know. Besides Perrier. Like uh, well, food, I, food I, used drink. To, I used to. I used to every now soup, yeah. and then. I think I I would like ask if I was wearing a suit in the show, and I was, and they, and they were all through with me. I'd ask if I could keep the suit. And a couple of times, they let me keep the suit. But you didn't take props? Or, or, or uh, good? Not, not props, uh-huh. no. So but, you, have nothing, uh, you have nothing from Norman's Corner to show. <laughs> what, like an old magazine from the newsstand? Copy of Look. You don't happen to have the corner, do you? Because I'm, yeah. I'm looking for the corner. <laughs> what what was Heston like when you? I mean, what kind of, God, you know, he Dana, was, Dana had a good experience of him. It man. was so great. What I what I honestly remember more than anything was on the the first like on the the first day where the host comes in on Monday. I don't know what was going on. Normally, we don't really get to meet them until like in the meeting and then afterwards. But somehow, we ended up like sort of surrounding him a little bit. A couple of us like outside um, before the big first meeting. And he told us this great story uh, about the making of Touch of Evil, about this trick that Orson Welles would do. Maybe you guys know the story that basically Orson Welles, like on day one, would make the studio execs just insane by like not shooting, not shooting, not shooting, not shooting. And then, you know, and I'm not I don't I'm not talking specifically about that opening giant crazy shot of Touch of Evil, but then he would do like some setup that incorporated a whole bunch of setups so that they caught up in like, you know, one or two shots. And then he'd just be like, see? And he would kind of do that on purpose to kind of both make them nervous and then I guess to get them to just completely back off and go away. And he said he did that on Touch of Evil. Um, And and we we were just, you know, standing there like, uh, you know, and... I managed that week, I will say, you know, you're talking about autographs of the Wolfman. I brought in a a French Planet of the Apes poster I had him sign, a Touch of Evil poster that I bought, and a uh, uh, a Three Musketeers where he was Cardinal Richelieu. And I had yeah, him, sure, cool. Uh, I had him sign that. Uh, a great line from the movie where Richelieu says, uh, I, I think he says it to Christopher Lee, like, on your knees, little man, or something like that. And I had him sign that in Charlton Heston. Uh, and he was, he was gracious about he it, was huh? He was so cool about it. I think he really, I don't know. That's cool. I, my sense of it was he seemed to dig that someone, at the time I was pretty young. That was like my, I think that was like maybe my second year on the show. So I was like 22, 23 years old. He seemed to appreciate how much I was into it. So it was, it was, it was pretty cool, yeah. When when you were standing next to Charlton Heston, did you get that feeling like I'm here with Moses? This is he. We did him. I didn't write it, but we did a Moses sketch that week where we 
made a Ten Commandments and he wore like a version of the costume. And it was you, you it was insane. You're like just staring at it's Moses. I mean, it, there he, was no question. He, looked like, he yeah. looked like I watched that episode today. He looked like he was game for anything. He was it, totally game for it. Although I do believe what you are seeing now when you watch the rerun or whatever is more of the dress rehearsal. He had a good oh, dress, and when we hit eleven thirty, he was tired. Like at that, that was when you realized that's an older, that's an old man. I mean, hate interesting. To say it. Yeah. And so we, yeah. I think in the in the fixes that we went to dress a lot because his dress was fantastic. That's that's my memory of it. And again, it didn't hurt anything. He was so into it and so excited about it all. But I do think we did end up using more of the dress for that reason. Yeah, I've heard nothing. You know, it's funny because he's got this reputation as a rifle guy and all that. But people who've met him have nothing but nice things to say about him. And you hear stories like I, I remember reading a story. You know, he one of his later performances was in that movie, uh, The Tombstone, you know, the Wyatt Earp that they yeah. did with Kurt Russell, yeah. where like. You know, at that point, like his knees were really bad, and either he could could get on a horse, but had to do the whole scene on a horse, or couldn't get on a horse. There's some story like that where you kind of go, "Oh my God, that sounds like awful," but I guess he was like great about it and was just like, "Put me on the horse, I'll do the whole scene on the horse," and he just did it, and he just, you know, like I don't know, just cool guy. Just it was. By the way, yeah. by the way, Norm McDonald's one of those apes in the Q and A section. Yes, in the, uh, yes. In the Q and A segment well, of, the, season, of the monologue is very season, funny. We had done like eleven of those Q and A monologues, and Norm was always in the crowd. So this was also our own parody of our Q and A monologues, and it was you know of course Norm doing that kind of like. Uh, yeah. So uh, so uh, you can talk, huh? What kind of ape are you? And it'd be like Heston going, you know, you damn mutant. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not an ape. I'm a human. Look, you're kind of a mutant. Yeah, exactly. What? Uh, we, you know, we we know Conan's infamous story of when George Steinbrenner hosted. Did you did you have any ex- experiences where you were pitching to a host and it was just you? Either you were shot down in flames or it just wasn't going anywhere it, that you could talk about. I can I didn't have anything that was like that miserable, but uh-huh. I will tell you. I sat there when I believe it was Kelsey Grammer hosted. Uh, you know, he was big on Frasier at the time. Sure. And he's got this big fan of Gilbert's, by the way. Oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Tell oh. tell him tell him. Oh when really? Kelsey Grammer was on uh, the View. Oh, we re- we did a roast when uh, when Meredith Vieira left the View and Rosie was coming uh, okay. to re- to replace her, and we had Gilbert on the on the dais and Kelsey. And uh, and Mario and a bunch of other people and Kelsey walked the minute he found out that Gilbert was going to be on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to I had to write a whole separate thing for him to t- to tape and roll in. He, w- he wouldn't sit on the dais with Gil. <laughs> so now I have to I have to ask: Was this before or after? The nine eleven. So this was early. Be- oh, it was because of Gilbert mocking his wife's oh, okay. uh, yeah, sure, okay. maladies on sure. Stern. <laughs> well, then you're going to watch up. The fart machine was uh, <laughs> working overtime. On he's that never going to do this show. We can we can tell you that. Well, you, since he's not listening, you may enjoy this story. Yeah. So go you for know it. he's got this like fucked up life. I mean, it wasn't just the wife. He. Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Like, a lot of tragedy. So, someone in his family was like eaten by a shark or something, or killed by a shark. Like he's got crazy shit in his past. Yes. And there's a shark involved, 
And they would always hand out this, like, I don't know, like, you know, when the host, the, here's this week's host, and they would give you, like, you know, here's a bunch of magazine articles about him that, of course, no one ever reads. Um, and so I remember somebody basically pitching a shark attack sketch to Kelsey Grammer, who's like, I don't remember, brother was eaten by a shark. Oh, and God. It oh. was, oof. Yeah, that's what I, I remember that, which wasn't me, thank God, but yeah. A yeah. Any, yeah any, any, go ahead, Gil. He's he's had I've read articles about him. A lot of tragedy. He's had nothing but horror stories. Yeah, like crazy horror life. stories, but then also these stories like he'll pop up like if you ever read like, you know, Vince Neal from Motley Crue's biography, it's always like he's sitting in moon shadows out in Malibu at like midnight and the only other guy at the bar is Kelsey Grammer. Like there's a lot of that too. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like to yeah. point out he was very nice to me, Gilbert. <laughs> oh yeah. He was always nice to me. He was particularly nice to me. He was, that a, day. He was a lovely host. Yeah. He actually, um, he did a very good, although not as good as yours, Gilbert. He did a James Mason impression for a 20,000 leagues oh. under the sea sketch where Ooh. the sketch was about the fact that, 20,000 leagues is actually a distance measurement and not a depth measurement, and everyone thinks it's a depth measurement. And he played Nemo, uh, and it was uh, it was pretty good. But not uh, not your Mason, that's all I'm going to say. Oh. His Mason is... Uh... Oh, and ever since uh, this podcast has been... How many years has... Uh, uh, 26. 26? <laughs> you and me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been the, it's the Zack Snyder years. cut of podcasts. <laughs> And, and uh, seven just, years. Just about, just about every episode, and even before, just talk shows. Just about every episode, I've I've told the story that um, Danny Thomas is most famous for. Ah, yep. His proudest story. <laughs> and uh, and and. Uh, uh, so uh, should should I tell the story or do you want to? Because well, you. You tell you know, took I think your we've, story. We've, we've got lots of versions of it. This is going to be exciting. I've got like <laughs> yeah, three yeah. versions. If, so you go first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I heard that Danny Thomas God. Uh, used to at parties, he'd lie underneath a glass coffee table. Some one story I heard, he he would dress up as a priest. I don't know. Ooh, I never heard true. that. I never heard that yeah. variation. I like that. Yeah. But. Uh, then women would squat down on the table and take a massive shit on the table as he was, uh, as, as Danny Thomas was lying <laughs> underneath looking up. I didn't know it was at parties, Gilbert. You added that. Yeah, I, I never heard parties <laughs> either. Parties. Well, I never heard parties. Maybe, maybe it I never was heard by priest. himself. I never I heard Maybe he wasn't yeah. that big a pervert. Uh, he just had it by himself. <laughs> He has to have some self-respect for God's sake. <laughs> so I'm going to tell two. I'm going to. This is a, Frank. I never told you this. This is two things. I'm going to add a piece. So go for it, buddy. So there were um, two writers at Seinfeld. I'll say their names. Um, they were older than me in the Lampoon. Great writers, um, Gamble and Pross. Oh, they're uh, they're legends. Oh, you know. Okay, great, 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 great. Yeah. Tom Gamble and Max Pross. Apparently, early on in their careers, when they were out in L.A. They went for a very high-powered 
meeting with, I think it was Danny Thomas's lawyer, and they had no intention of <laughs> signing with him, but they felt they had to go because he was Danny Thomas's lawyer. I'm telling their story. I hope they'll forgive me. Uh, and their story is they, they sit through the meeting, whatever, 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 and finally gets to the end of the meeting, and it's like anything else, and they kind of go, well, they got their courage up. We have to ask. <laughs> and the, oh, guy, the guy just stops them. He, does, he goes, what can I say? The man built hospitals. And that was what he said. That was the, apparently the response. Oh, oh geez. Oh, I, met, <laughs> I met um, Sid Melton. You know, Sid, the, the actor, Sid, he used to appear. Yep. On, yeah, he. I mean, he's was, one uh, of yeah, was, a he, was, was, was he a part, a guest, a, par, a guest at the parties? Yeah, uh, no, no, <laughs> no. But he was on Green Acres. He was on, he was a on Million. Uh, make room for Daddy too. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, and and um, so because he was like a uh, regular on Make Room for Daddy as like Danny's yeah. agent or whatever, I I said. Um, uh, yes, Sid, the story with the uh, shitting on the table, is that true? And with a very uncomfortable, strained face, he nodded yes. <laughs> well, so let's throw, let's throw in the word allegedly. Yeah, as often allegedly. As we can. Oh, allegedly. Okay, allegedly. <laughs> allegedly, women would shit on Danny Thomas. Allegedly. So yeah. we, did, we did an episode of Veep. Um, where um, Selena goes to oversee an election in uh, in Georgia, so she goes overseas. You know the way these like ex presidents always go to like you know make sure democracy is existing, and of course she's there really because the sort of the dictator who's trying to stay in power wants to bribe her. And there's this scene where he basically is sort of you know just offering her you know the world and whatever. And we basically we did a Danny Thomas reference where basically. You know, and, and so it was sort of a combination of that story where she basically goes like something like that's his, you know, am I, am I, you know, that's his, you know, it's, it's sort of a. It, well, he, I watched yeah. it last night. Okay, he he asked yeah. her if he asked her if he, he makes the offer to make the right. donation to her library. And he says, am I being clear? And she basically says, like, it, 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 it's not it, it, it's as clear as the as Danny Thomas's coffee table before <laughs> the hookers <laughs> shit, shit on it. Um and, then, and she sells that line. Yeah, God bless her. Julia just just yeah hits it out of the park. Yep. And then and then he, and then basically it's sort of like she then and he goes really and she's like well look what do you want the man built hospitals we sort of used the line he built a lot of hospitals and then he goes ah I see the yin and the yang and yes that's the yin what and that's the yang. what kills that's what the kills best me about that and joke. I I did not write the yin and the yang I don't even remember who wrote the yin and the yang but I love the yin and the yang so. This airs. This is on tell. This is on Veep. We air this, at which point I guess we were editing some other shows, and Julia calls me, and she calls me and goes, "I just got a call from uh, the daughter from Marlo Thomas. They want to talk to us, or they want to talk to me." And she goes, "I'm not doing this alone. You have to be on the call too. <laughs> You're a showrunner. So You're gonna take the bullet." Julia and I have a phone call with Marlo Thomas where, oh God, it, she sort of is sort of like talking to us all about the fundraising for the St. Jude's Hospital and how, 
about how she doesn't want the fundraising to get hurt and she's never heard this before and oh it was so i wish i could have filmed that as a dvd extra it was so painful just me and julia just like genuflecting to sort of try and apologize but not really apologizing at the same time because yeah we were love that joke, it's a so, joke what, were a the apologies show. Ah, we're very sorry that your father no, exactly. might like get shit on. <laughs> we're very sorry that you weren't able to sit at the coffee table at your house, that that room was off limits. It was just a lot of like, oh, those hospitals are really that, great. Those that hospitals call are really sounds great. cringier yeah. than the cringiest Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, no, yeah. full on so, Curb. Yeah, full on. We're, we're very sorry that several of his shirts were ruined. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast for years, but nobody's listening to this podcast. You put it on national television. <laughs> yeah, it's HBO. It's HBO. Yeah, right. yeah. Ball, balls of brass, and, my friend. And I performed at a couple of uh, St. Jude's Hospital. <laughs> well, not anymore. So, so I can talk about Danny Thomas getting shit on. Any, I free reign. That's the agreement I made with my. You're you're grandfathered in. That's perfect. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I want to point out a couple of your other SNL skits that I love, and and uh, Ner Nerf Crotch Bat is just you know just pure stupid it's brilliant just, comedy. Just anything you can do to hit anybody in the crotch with a bat. Yeah. So <laughs> funny, and so is Crystal Gravy. Uh, uh, which I love, and I told Gilbert about Philadelphia action figures. That that's that's my real favorite. Which is and I, just I, by the way, great. And I, I kept a couple of the action figures, also by the way. So for it's part of my great. collection, the yeah. The little kid saying, "See you in court, sucker." Well, <laughs> the funniest part of this thing was, if you if you for those anyone who can find it on YouTube or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. you know it's these action figures, obviously for Philadelphia, and it's of course these characters that like in the movie are these you know very serious lawyer and stuff dying of AIDS, and of course. They've got like laser swords and power nets and, you know, Batmobiles and all this kind of stuff. And the commercial starts with the kid going, you've got AIDS, you're fired. No, you're fired. Ba-boom. And the little kid, of course, then looks up and asks the director, Jim Signorelli, who was so good. He goes, oh, he's good why, why, are they, why are they firing him? And then we go, well, because well, they think he has AIDS. Why should someone be fired because they have AIDS? And it was just like. And then it was like, "What is AIDS?" And then it was just like, oh, "Okay, I, I'm sorry, I got to leave the set because I this is you're you're six years old. I don't think I can. <laughs> yeah, I don't think this is my place to tell you. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, the the the, the detail, the the commitment to the joke, as uh, as we all know, is very important. That they built a miniature Jason Robards figure. <laughs> that the net and the Tom Hanks on, character yeah. fires a, a netting that goes. No, it may so, have been, it may have been fired by uh, Miguel, longtime companion. Oh, oh it's, fired, yes, it's yes. fired by the yeah. by the uh, ant, yeah the, uh, the what is it uh, yeah Antonio uh, Banderas. It's Miguel, Antonio Banderas character. Yeah. So 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 funny. <laughs> tell tell us about writing for Phil Hartman. You know, we're talking about giving material to actors that hit home runs, and you've written for a lot of people who who know how to knock comedy out of the park, like I mean, Julia. I mean, he. I mean, with him, it was so incredible. I mean, you know, you used to, obviously he used to go like you know on Letterman, and he always would joke about pick a number, and you know Letterman would go like forty four, and he would pretend like he had a you know two hundred different characters, and Letterman picked number forty four. But it was real. I mean, he just you know we did him uh, when I got to the show, he was our Clinton, and so um, when Clinton got elected, Al Franken and I wrote this at the time very big sketch of. Um, 
uh, Phil as Clinton jogging into McDonald's because he was doing that in D.C. He was kept jogging into different like fast food mm-hmm. restaurants and showing up. And it was him explaining the warlords in Mogadishu stealing food as he stole burgers off people's plates and ate them in the McDonald's. And he just would do this devilish, uh, you know, Clinton impression, you know, that kind of like, we're not going to tell Mrs. Clinton about a lot of things, you know, that kind of, and with just <laughs> yep. this gleam in his eye. And it was, I remember in that sketch, he's eating all these, like, you know, whatever they were, I guess they were Big Macs and stuff. And he literally started actually choking on the live show from shoving these, like, you know, uh, and I, cause I think he was a healthy guy and never ate McDonald's food either. And so he's eating this McDonald's food. And he starts choking on it. And God bless him, Rob Schneider, in the middle of the sketch, hands him a soda to drink to get him to wash it down. That was not planned. But, I mean, Phil wow. was just, 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 yeah. I mean, as in, yeah, what you think he was. Yeah, exactly. You've written for the funniest people on the planet. I mean, I want to add our friend Susie Essman to that list. Oh, I want to add, Susie, I don't think yeah. there's a funnier human alive than J.B. Smoove. The, the the I mean when JB I mean you know Curb was Curb and then we added JB to it and obviously it became this other thing but we with Susie and obviously everyone knows obviously you know her cursing and stuff which is which is incredible but we did a scene with her once I don't know if you ever saw it it was where Larry's mechanic like doesn't fix the front seat so when women are sitting in the front seat the seat's shaking and it's giving them orgasms oh, she has the orgasm and yeah. she gets yeah. in the front seat and Larry knows it's happening and. He's like she's moaning and he's screaming in pain at her orgasming and it's back and forth and back and forth. And she is a monster in that scene. And just she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. she's brilliant. We've known yeah. Susie forever. Yeah. And, and since we're talking about Curb, there is a Curb anecdote that you told me that involves my co-host. I, I hope I hope I hope you will. I hope you will appreciate this. We did an episode of Curb where. Larry is in a place and a guy comes up to him and basically says, can you watch my, can you watch my, my computer a minute? I'm going to go to the bathroom. He, oh yeah. He I goes to the that. bathroom and then, and then Larry does it to another guy and it becomes this whole thing. It becomes whatever. But the, the guy, number one who disappears and you don't really see again until the back end of the show uh, was, uh, 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 Curtis Armstrong. Armstrong. Curtis Armstrong. Yeah. Right. Um, from you know, from Revenge of the Nerds and stuff, whatever. And he was he was great. He was he was you know super good on the show. But if this, I hope this means something good to you. When we finished the episode, <laughs> as we were walking away from being finished, there was a moment where I don't even remember how your name came up, and Larry just went, "Oh fuck." Gilbert would have been so good in that part, and unfortunately, it was in the can already. But it was like. Fuck, Gilbert would have been so great in that part. So I, I'm sorry we didn't think of it on the A side. I apologize. Oh, well, yeah. thanks for telling me Yeah, that. I know. I, I, I want to tell you about other things I didn't cast you in also, if that's okay. I've got a lot yeah. of other things I didn't. <laughs> didn't yeah. put them on Veep do, either. <laughs> do you have any, like, uh, gorgeous actresses who say, boy, I wish I had fucked Gilbert. But I, but I <laughs> fucked uh, Curtis Armstrong. But yeah, no, exactly. Well, you know what's so funny about that is when Revenge of the Nerds came out, people were coming up to me saying, there, there's a guy in that movie who looks like you. There you go. Yep. 
I get well, this that. leads this that. leads me well, to. A... Thank thank you for not casting. No, it was me, my pleasure. Prick. It was absolutely my pleasure. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, you should take that up with Larry the next time he calls, Gil. Josh Abalon, I got a question from a, a couple of questions from listeners, Dave. Yep. Uh, Josh Abalon, how did Gilbert end up on the Clerks animated series as Patrick Swayze? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a two-parter in a very good way. So number one. Um, we did the Clerks thing. I did it with Kevin Smith. Good show, um, by the way. Oh, I appreciate that. Um, and it was a series of things that happened, but it was connected to we were doing it at ABC, which, of course, ended up being a giant mistake. We sold them the show, and, and they were like in like last place, and then they had Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on, so they aired two of our episodes in the summer and never aired the rest. But anyway, the Disney animation people were helping us and whoever the casting guy was at the time i think gilbert knew you because of iago i think that's that was the connection and basically we were having all of this trouble with like legal stuff where they were just like you know if people think this is really patrick swayze like we're gonna get you can't do it you can't do it and it was like and it was like you fucking assholes like why are you even making this show if we can't do all these things and it was just like okay i know here's how we will make sure they're clear it's not patrick swayze guess who we're gonna cast as the voice of patrick swayze Gilbert Gottfried. And they still fought us. They were like, well, how are people... (laughs) Thinking Patrick Swayze and me sound identical. But we ended up... We actually double-used you because that motherfucker Jerry Seinfeld backed out at the last second. So you also did Jerry. You did your Jerry impression as Jerry in an episode of Clerks also. I don't know. I think we threw that in at the last second. You did your Jerry, which was yeah, great. Yeah, I yes. remember I did yeah. both of those. Yeah. And I, what the, the line that makes me laugh in the um, Patrick Swayze one, because it's supposed to be he's pretending he works at the pet store. Yeah, the pet store next door, but he takes it very seriously, as I remember yeah, and, it. Yeah. And he's pretending yeah. he's doing it for a part in a movie. Right, he, but he's not. He's yeah. just, <laughs> no. And at the end, he's, his triumphant line is, well, I have to go now. I have to fly to Hollywood to do a movie. I play an annoyed neighbor in an Adam Sandler film. <laughs> Uh, so you guys got to work together after all yeah except sadly i don't think i was anywhere near wherever gilbert recorded that so yeah (laughs) we will return to gilbert gottfried's amazing colossal podcast but first a word from our sponsor uh david mcconaughey says the veep finale was incredible i agree could David discuss briefly uh, consultations with actors or other writers that led to the brilliance of that finale? Uh, you wrote and directed the finale, as we pointed I, out in I, our, I did, our yeah. interminable intro. Um, uh, you know, um, what was, you know, I, I guess I kind of always knew I was going to do it. And obviously, uh, you know, I sort of, the nice thing was it was obviously it's the end of a season, it's the end of the show, so there are the, all of these strands of things that I would I knew were going to go into it. And, of course, people kept throwing more at me to put in, which was great, too. But uh, it was just sort of trying to pay off, like, this idea. And, and this, was, this was what was so hard about the back end of Veep. When Veep started, and, you know, 
the idea was like, you know, oh, once in a while, this is like what this is what politicians are really like behind closed doors and all of this kind of stuff. And then, you know, four years of Trump and there are no closed doors. There's no you know, we did jokes early on about like, what if the president tweeted and then we elected a guy, obviously, that was tweeting all the time. So mm-hmm. what Veep was ceased to be in some ways relevant or funny or even make sense or in some ways it was almost sad because it was it, it was so much worse so because the world got worse we kind of made selena worse so it was really this culmination of how, what was she prepared to do to get power do you know what i mean yeah and it was yeah. very i don't know i don't want to say it was I, I you know i think a lot of times you can just you can always steal good stuff from the godfather and the godfather part two but it was very Godfather Part Two, you know, like I'm going to kill the family to protect the family, basically. Almost so, right down to the shot well, where the door closes yes, and she's exactly. alone. Yes, which I our, our DP came up with. I give him that credit. That's the the shutting the door on K. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. It's now, brilliant. And she kills Fredo. I mean, she kills. Yeah, and she, she yeah, kills. She sends Fre- and Gary she kills and, Fredo. Yeah. Right. How many kids did Julia Louis Dreyfus have during the making of Seinfeld? I'll tell you a funny but story. She, she had two. The first one was before me. The second one was during me. And Julia didn't remember this. It came up a couple of years after the fact. But, you know, we were all like, you know, like, I don't know. We were like, you know, 25. There were a lot of writers at the time that were like 25, 26, 27 years old on the show. And when she was pregnant, we pitched this idea. Um, and I should, I'm going to preface this for those of you listening I am an I I am an overweight person. I have dealt with weight my entire life. So just to be very clear, this is a fat person about to tell this story. We <laughs> pitched this idea. We pitched this idea that the way we would cover her pregnancy was we would just have Elaine get fat. That was the idea that we pitched. And I remember nobody wanted to pitch it to Julia. No one had like, oh, I was just like, oh, she's going to hate that. And I think Jerry actually got up the nerve and did pitch it. And she fucking hated it and wouldn't, didn't, you know, just like, no. But we re- told her about it years later and she went, oh, I should have done that. So to her credit, later on, she did realize it was funny. But uh, she's such a brave yeah. actor. She was, she was constantly. Sitting on the couch, yeah. clutching pillows, pillows, pillows yeah. boxes yeah. of cereal behind the kitchen counter. There's a lot of times where she's just does the whole scene behind the kitchen counter or the fridge door is open, you know, and she's kind of like her head's out from behind. She's always bending into the fridge and then coming, coming up and then bending back down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. It's a season of that. Yeah. <laughs> She, she's a she's a brave actor. I think of and I don't think you wrote this episode, but you you may have contributed something to it. Is the the kicks is oh, the terrible yeah. the terrible dancing and 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 her commitment to that. And then watching Selena, watching these Veep episodes, it takes a certain actor to make you like them when they are so despicable. Yeah, and she and just, so monstrous. And and to some extent, every time she was more monstrous, or every time she did more. It only encouraged us to go further. Do you know what I mean? Because it's like, yeah. if she can be likable doing this, well, now we'll have her say that. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, it's uncanny that you, she never lost her likability in the yeah. in the show I, when she's. I I just got a flashback. Uh, one t- the only time I was ever in Larry David's apartment when he lived in New York was he had cable. 
Okay. And and there was some actress both of us had the hots for, and she was going to be on a movie where she did a bunch of nude scenes. <laughs> and I remember going over to his house, and both of us <laughs> watched this actress <laughs> naked. <laughs> That's a, that's a lovely anecdote. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's heartwarming. You can imagine uh, Art Linkletter telling that one. Uh, I got another question here from a listener. Sam Weisberg says, Yeah, you've said a comedy writer has to have a healthy ego. When you were on season 20 of SNL, that was kind of an infamous season. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, when they brought in when they brought in the the uh, the hired guns, they brought in Jeannie uh, Garofalo and uh, well, was it Mark? Uh, it wasn't just the uh, Chris hired guns. It was that they brought in all these people and got rid of nobody. So the cast was like, right, it was like twenty people. It was crazy. Yeah, right. He's saying what what was it like having to deal with the egos in that season? You know, I will say this actually to their credit as hired guns, and maybe it was just where they all were at the time in their their various careers. They were all really good people. I mean, in to some ways, I think it was just a disservice to everybody because there just wasn't enough, you know, screen time where you just kind of go, you yeah. know, Chris Elliott did nothing this week, or Janine Garofalo was in one sketch this week, or McKeon was like. A good week for McKeon was maybe in two sketches. It was if a you waste of a lot of top, top talent. That was really it. And they never as much complained as, I guess, when I think back on it, I know they were unhappy. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but they were just, sure. I think they were just unhappy and depressed. And Janine ended up leaving like three quarters of the way through the year. She just, I think, had kind of had but it. But you got to do that great uh, Robert Evans sketch with, yeah. with Michael. Well, I, Mike, McKeon was so, I mean, you, I know you guys have had him. He's so He's brilliant. good. He's so He's brilliant. good. And good on Veep, and, by the way. Oh, he was, yeah. I mean, I was so yeah. happy he did that. He did us a favor there, actually, because I, I, I won't, we had cast another actor who could come in and, um, had was having like memory line issues. I won't. I don't want to say his name because he's still active. Was it he's was it Gilbert guy. Gottfried? Uh, Gilbert yeah. something. Uh, well, you know what? Let's just protect his an anonymity. Gilbert G. And he just couldn't do the lines. Um, no, I just want to be very clear. At no point did we think of Gilbert Gottfried for that part. You're welcome. Um, uh, so so it. It's a tradition. Yes, it was. I try and do that for good luck on every one of my shows. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we shot a day with this other guy and then tried to so, so, kind of reached out to Michael, who basically his agent just said no. And I, thank God, was I was able to email Michael and more or less beg him. And he said yes. And God, he was so good. But when he came into SNL... Obviously, you know, he'd been in the, you know, the whole credibility gap and spinal tap and sure, all those of things. Course. And he brought with him these incredibly like wonderful impressions. You know, he does an incredible Howard Stern impression. Yeah. He does an insane Good Vincent Price. Vincent Price, that's exactly what I was going to say. He does an amazing Vincent Price. And he did a really good Adam West. We did an update feature with Duchovny where we did Adam West. And the 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 the, the Evans book had just come out, but it was before Evans like documentary and all the Evans fever had come along but we wrote this sketch it was a talk show called The Casting Couch with Robert Evans it's great. and it was just him you know all tanned up and basically you know trying to talk to young ladies and get them to send him polaroids of them washing cars or you know with a very sort of like 
60s version of nudity kind of a thing. And it's just people calling the show saying, I'm a cancer doctor. You really need to go see someone. I don't like the look of that spot on your nose. And it's just basically. <laughs> Did you ever get feedback from Evans? Lauren apparently ran into Evans like on the Paramount lot, and he liked it a bunch. I think. Oh, you know, great! Yeah, Good. So I'll you take go. it. I'll take it. <laughs> we, uh, we, yeah. we got a Robert Evans story for you. We'll oh, have please, to tell you please. off, off oh, mic. Oh, off, off mic. mic. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh oh. Let, let's talk. Let's talk about the podcast and collecting and collecting props. Uh, do you know Mike uh, Michael Giacchino, by the way? I do. I know him a little bit. We have a mutual yeah. friend. He, that, yeah, yeah. He, he's got a holy grail. Not a holy grail. I've he's never, got a. Uh, he's I've, got. A, he's got an ark of the covenant. I've never seen his place, but I've heard. Yeah. I've heard tale. As you know, yeah. uh, which sounds the, crazy. The, the, yeah. the, the podcast that you do, the stuff dreams are made of, which we talked about with your friend Ryan Condal, is all about your obsessions. This show is about our obsessions, and this is about your obsessiveness in collecting and the yeah, things that you pursued about over the years. All collecting, but it's specifically about really like prop collecting like the actual and you know and first episode we started with just literally like how do you know it's real because that's what people want to know you know you were talking about like is the cape real and things like that but yeah no it's about it's what we have the crazy lengths we've gone i mean i like i hired a private eye once to help me track down a piece i literally hired um <laughs> oh my from my, wow. my my daughter's preschool um there was this wonderful couple, uh, a, a, a lesbian couple, and the the one of them was a private eye, and I was trying to track this guy. A lesbian down. private eye. Lesbian this private is eye. A There's your show. There's your show. <laughs> Starring Gilbert Gottfried as the lesbian. I would private watch eye. that. I would play the sergeant in that. <laughs> What what was the piece? Can you say? Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know if you would have any memory of this. I was the exact right age, but when Star Wars came out in 77, at Burger King, on different weeks, they had these four posters that every time you could like buy a soda, you could get either a poster or a glass, a Star Wars glass. And so you meet people of a certain age that still have these Star Wars drinking glasses in their in their cabinets. And there was a guy whose dad worked for Coca-Cola that was who had commissioned the art and had the original four paintings for these posters and glassware. And he had posted about it with only his first name, that he lived in Atlanta, and that his dad had once worked at Coca-Cola. And I basically gave that information to the private eye and she wow. tracked him down for me, and I, wow. I bought the piece. There's a lesbian yeah. private yes, eye. to the lesbian yeah. private That's eye. Yeah. The, don't leave out the most important part of the story. So, so there's there, this is detective work. Yeah, I mean it's an, it's an obsession. I mean it's it's taking right. the obsession sort of out into the world. It's not just obsessing about it. It's it's spending a lot of time talking about like movies we love, and then like reducing it to the props that make us think like. Because there's a lot of great movies that don't have props you'd want to own. Like, sometimes costumes are just costumes. Like, you can think of a movie where it's like, if I owned Gilbert Gottfried's suit, but unfortunately that's missing. No one can find the suit he wore in Beverly Hills Cop 2. Maybe someone walked off with it. But if I owned that suit, it's a suit. You know what I mean? I'm not sure it's... Sure. I'm not sure. sure it's a special suit. It's just a nice suit. You know what I mean? But you try and think of, like, 
you know, again, we you know we call the show the stuff the dreams are made of. Like, if you could find the real Maltese Falcon, that's a prop worth owning. You know what I, I mean? I was just about to ask you. Do, do you know anyone who actually owns? There's one that got. There's one or two that have been sold that they claim were it. The problem was there's this crazy cool story that when the movie was finished, they made a replica. Falcon and wrapped it up like in the newspaper in the wrapping that Thursby deliver. I think it was Thursby that the captain yeah. delivers it in. You know, and they ta- you know and they tear it open, and so it looks apparently just like this. And there's no one that no one really knows. Is it a thousand percent the real one? There's one that I think they think matches a publicity photo shoot of. It's like. Bogey, like like chest up with like a like the Falcons like in a still with him, and I think there's one that matches that, but no one's sure if that one was also used in the movie because there were more than one, and this is the problem, you know. Yeah. Like right. uh, Steven Spielberg has a uh, has a rosebud sled, but it was a balsa rosebud sl- rosebud sled of which I guess there were multiples that were used to burn them. Do you know what oh, I mean? The thro- like the fire So scene. was it yeah. the one? No, it was one of many. You know, so this is this is this is the problem and what's so obsessive about prop collecting. You know what I mean? Like so when you can find the one, like for example, I have uh, an Indiana Jones jacket, but it's a leather jacket with a scratch on it where I can match that scratch to the movie and go there it is. That's my that jacket is right there. And so that's some of what the crazy level that we're looking for within the collecting to kind of what's what we call a screen match. That's the the holy grail, I guess, of collecting. Yeah. And that's what the podcast is that about. That is what is, the podcast is, is, is about. Is but it's it... also about obsessiveness and right, our, our right. final episode of the first season, we just had our wives on and we they talked about what assholes we are and how they hate our collecting. <laughs> yeah. So that's <laughs> we, you know, we should do that episode. Gilbert. You guys should do that episode. It was <laughs> do that episode. very cathartic for my, both couples. Yeah. It'd be a six hour episode. <laughs> Uh, what about you? Wonder about this stuff. We had Dana on, and we were talking about the strict fat and stuff. The yep. stuff from the, the the you know what yeah. I'm talking yep. about the laboratory the stuff. Frankenstein machines. But now it, you know, and the guy was alive when Mel made Young Frankenstein. Yeah, and brought and they, it they in, they found and got, him the, in got, the, got the special credit at the end of the movie. Yeah, sure. But you wonder what happens to that stuff after the fact. Now, where where is that stuff today? Where are these props? Are they are they in garage? Are they in personal possessions? I mean, you, are they? You hear stories of things like. I mean, again, not on the level of that, but, you know, iconic unto themselves. But you hear stories about, like, you know, Back to the Future DeLoreans just, like, rusting and rotting on the uh, on the Universal lot. You know, they just would sit, and the, the tram would go by them on the tour, and just they would just were sitting there until they started to, like, basically rust and fall apart. I mean, you know, again, that's the thing is, you know, money and collectability has changed all of this. No one, no one thought anything about this stuff you know what i mean so what what's, yeah. your, what's your go ahead gil i remember i heard a story someone uh was over at a movie studio and they wanted to make room for something and they were smashing all of these life masks of like oh. legendary stars they were putting them and throwing them in the dumpster and shattering into. Well, there pieces. was probably a lot of waste over the years. You, 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 and that reminds me of the old Tonight Shows being recorded over. 
yeah. know, which you hear about when right, Groucho so they could did. save tape. Groucho yeah, was the exactly. guest to so save tape save, in those yeah. days. So you know, you, there's no way of telling how many wonderful props were were oh, uh, I mean, were just des- destroyed or tossed so over the years. There's so many incredible things that if you just start going down a list of like great movies and incredible props, you know, like 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 like, like just for a second, just Casablanca, just to pick a an obvious iconic movie. Most of the stuff that's out there from Casablanca are like a chair from Rick's Cafe or, uh, you know, like that's not exactly when you think of Casablanca, you don't think of the chairs. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not your mm-hmm. that's not your dream prop. And that's, you know, just stuff got thrown away, got taken. Who knows? But that's the flip side is every now and then something shows up that just, you know, blows you away where you just cannot believe Oh my God! After all these years, somebody had this. You know what I mean? Like that's the stuff that's just wild. You know. And with Casablanca, it's like people are gonna once again have those kind of props. Like, oh well, this is the uh, wine glass. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Gold. Yeah, it's a suit. You go, okay, yeah, exactly, I'll take yeah. your word for yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, and then you. <laughs> Somebody will be taking, they'll, they'll be getting props from Curb Your Enthusiasm. They'll be looking for the, the flowers that Larry <laughs> stole from Funkhauser's mother's memorial one day. You're, here's a question yeah. for you. You are a presidential historian. You're a fan amateur, of Robert Amateur, amateur, yes, yes. An yes. amateur profession, presidential historian. We're amateur historians here ourselves. And you're a reader of Robert Caro. Yeah, what, I, Caro can't get enough. What, yeah. what is your assessment of Gilbert's, uh, Gilbert as Abe Lincoln? It's spot on. I mean, I, 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 you know, I just I, let me let me add. I was also a government major at Harvard, and I, uh, I, I, I really, I do feel uh, spot on. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was in uh, a million ways to die in the West. Yes. And and I think somebody owns the beard I wore. There you there. go. There worth, you go. Very collectible. You know, yeah. twenty million dollars. Quick, quick lightning round questions. Uh-oh. You're a Marx. You're a Marx Brothers guy. You're in a Marx Brothers documentary. Uh, we're strong Paramount people here, not MGM people. Where do Where do you stand? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, Paramount. Yeah, when they were anarchists. Yeah, I I Before always they thought so- they got softened. To me, there are great moments oh. in A Night at the Opera. Of course, yeah. But it's it always looks like the beginning of the end. <laughs> it It's like, first of all, there's time between the jokes for people to laugh, and uh, and they're doing it to save, like, this couple, and it's... Yeah, all the... I mean, the couple stuff in any of those movies, uh, whatever, but... Uh, yeah, the, the 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 early one, the pure. I mean, you said anarchist, but yeah, the pure anarchy of just sort of like, to me, it always felt like it wasn't even like they had shots. It was just like they were just trying to capture what they were doing. I don't know if that you know what I mean. Like 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 it yeah. was just yeah. like like yeah. let's just get this. You know what I mean? Particularly but, yeah. the last two with Paramount of horse feathers and duck soup. It's just insanity. Yeah, just pure insanity. Did you guys ever read about um, uh, I'm I, I just my other biggie uh, in this sort of movie world, and again, not an original thought, but uh, uh, we talked about this the other day. Uh, I love uh, Billy Wilder, Did you, and in one of his like biographies or something, 
he talks about a Marx Brothers idea that he oh, had. Oh, yes. Do you know this idea? Yes, it was a, yeah. night in, a night in Hollywood, a day in Hollywood. Yes, yes. Something like that. No, or, oh, no. no. Day, day at the United Nations. United Nations, yes. It yes, was basically, yes, it was yes. going to be off the, cru- the Khrushchev, off the Khrushchev yeah. shoe bank, you know, and basically they were going to be yep, arriving yep, yep. by ship and going to the UN and the sort of what, I mean, it's just as well they didn't make it, but yeah. It, yeah. it had to be very early in Wilder's career because, I mean, they're the, the love happy. I mean, Harpo can hardly, you know, walk 20 feet. No, there, I mean, he, he said, like, he kind of, like, got really excited and then realized none of them could do it. Yeah, and it was just like, And yeah. And th- I remember I was watching um, one of those horrible, like, TV productions with, that would have Chick on Harpo in them. And and I remember my son, when he was like about five or something, said, is this supposed to be funny? Oh. And so it was really... Well, when Wilder was making Double Indemnity, what, 44 or something like that? And, and uh, you know, and they, they were still active. I mean, they were, yeah. they were, they were really winding down. But I mean, I, mean, I, don't, think the, I don't think he had the store. idea to like, I don't know, yeah, like they were, 59, 60 is when I think he had the idea. On the subject of feature films, I mean, you've written feature films. You talked about, I heard you talk about a speed comedy that that, that you guys pitched. Oh, yeah. Oh, um, a comedy lo- loosely based, a, yeah. ro- a rom-com based on, what, what is it in the in the days now, and Gilbert and I had Ken Quapis here, the director Ken Quapis, we were talking about how you can't make movies, you couldn't sell a movie the- theatrically like Harold and Maude, like The oh, Conversation, uh, like, like Tootsie. Today, what what's it like for a guy like you who's who's still out there pitching features? I mean, the honest answer is I don't really do features. I mean, I I do a feature only if HBO. You know what I mean? If a stream. You know what I mean? Like it just it doesn't exist. There, well, you wrote the Dictator, and yeah, but and, but look but look at but look at the years on those. That's already at this point a while back. At this point, I mean, it's it's been a while. There's just there's no comedy business certainly in theatrically at this point mm-hmm. I mean, just, that's what that's yeah. what i meant it's just gone. yeah there's no romance yeah. anything i every now and then i'll think of a film that i've seen in the theater or a film i watch on tv and i go wow no way in hell would that be in a theater and and it's like the funny thing is also when a newspaper would come out, if anyone remembers newspapers. From Norman's Corner. Always, yeah, I would open <laughs> to the movies. In, as seen in Norman's Corner. Yeah, I would op- open up to the movie section. When was the last time a newspaper had a movie section? Yeah. But I mean, think, no. but I mean, you know, I was thinking, I was talking about this with a, one of my like friends that I grew up with in the city. And all we ever did on any given weekend on Friday and Saturday was we would go to see two or three movies, depending on what opened. And that meant two or three new movies were opening every weekend. And that's why, you know, if you said to me, like, well, what'd you see that weekend? It's like, we saw bestseller with James Woods and Brian oh, Dennehy. Yeah. Oh, you know? sure. And then we went and saw the Lemon Sisters with, you know, you know, it's just like, like I saw just movies came out and I would go see them, but were they all great? No, but they came out. You know what I mean? It, like they existed. I, and I don't remember times, the sure. last time that I knew what movies were even out yeah. there. I have a script. A, it's a kind of a romantic comedy that I think 
would be incredible about a lesbian private eye, but no one will make it. No one, no one will make it. No one will do you, make it. Yeah. Do you know Larry and Scott at all? Do you know Karaszewski and, uh, uh, and, and and Scott Alexander? I know them a little bit. Uh, they, yeah, they got yeah. a they got a they got a Marx Brothers feature script that's a great read. Oh really? Oh, I yeah. got I got to yeah. read that. When the never, when the never. lesbian uh, detective comes out on the poster, will it uh, have in brackets? And Gilbert Gottfried as Sergeant McCluskey. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do Sterling Hayden's character. Uh, I will take you out with this, Dave, because you, you you do listen to this show. You know the kind of crazy shit we do, Uh-oh. and you and you are a fan of the original Adam West Batman. By yes. the way, Dana Gould Dana Gould's Adam West is pretty pretty goddamn I admit, right on. I've heard his, and it's really good. But again, I'm just going to tell you. Seek out McKeon's. Oh, okay, we're okay? gonna make McKean. We're yeah. gonna get McKean. There's back something and make about McKean. I'm just gonna let you know. McKean's got a really good one because of the distance that he puts in. Like he says something and then he pauses for a very long time before he gets to old chum. And Jeff Garland has a good Adam West. Also, he does. Yes. We gotta get. We gotta get. Yeah, Jeff you gotta on get Garland show. on the show. He would be. You'd, yeah, you gotta get Garland on the show. Yeah. So last question. Uh-oh. We touched on we touched on the Danny Thomas scandal. Yep. What is your opinion of the Cesar Romero scandal? Of the uh or Gilbert will explain it to you if you're not. Oh, okay. I don't think I know the Cesar Romero scandal. Oh, oh. Well, uh let me see if I'm familiar <laughs> with it. Yeah. I don't, please. <laughs> maybe maybe look it up on Google and read me what it says. Okay. Yeah. Well, we want, Cesar- we want Dave's take. Cesar Romero, of course, was famous as being the Latin lover yep. and and in real life, he was gay. Not that there's anything wrong with him. <laughs> and and uh, what he was into was he, he would gather up a bunch of boy toys and he'd stand there, he'd pull his pants and underwear down and bend over and his boy toys would fling orange wedges at his ass. Well, Dave, and that is why he was the best Joker of all of them. Yes, <laughs> of anyone that ever played the Joker, he is my favorite. And, and that is now, why. Yes. Now, when you watch like those old episodes where he's the Joker, and you know he's gay, and you go, "Oh, makes perfect sense." <laughs> Again, meth- this, method, method, method. It's actor. method. At this point in the show, where you know we're we're doing things to amuse ourselves, four, three, almost four hundred episodes in, I just want to see the expression on the guest face when he tells that story. I, I, honestly, as I'm sitting here, it just makes me feel better about my orange throwing. So anyway, yeah, that's. Yeah. <laughs> and I also heard a variation on that story that for some re- one person said, a Caesar Romero would stand uh, ankle deep in warm water. Uh, as they were as flinging. The okay, okay. Oh, and then some people argue with me saying that it it was tangerine, which <laughs> it was some kind of citrus. Like, maybe a tangelo, maybe. It, it could, could have be been. a tangelo. A, a, cle- yeah. a clementine, yeah, I think. Yeah, but never a grapefruit. That's where he we, drew the line. We got a private yeah. eye working on it. <laughs> a lesbian <laughs> private eye, yes. <laughs> Uh, Sergeant pl- McCluskey says, listen to me, private eye lesbian. you got to back off this Cesar Romero case. It's going to hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> he was that close to retirement. <laughs> Let, we got uh, to plug Veep for our listeners that have not watched Veep. Shame on you. 
uh, Dave's wonderful work, and also we love character actors on this show. What a what a wonderful uh, no that uh, group, cast. I mean, I, I put actors. that cast up against anything. Yeah, really wonderful people uh, on that show. Um, and uh, I'm, I, I had a card for the some of the names on that show. I was going to ask you about. Now I can't find my card. Um, and we want to. I didn't uh, know any of their names, so I can't help you. No, the guy that played, I gotta call this, I gotta call this guy out. The guy that played, uh, Roger Furlong. Oh my God. Dan Bacadol. Oh. Hilarious. Holy crap. Yeah. We, Hilarious. Uh, Kevin we... Dunn and Gary Cole and, and, uh, our friend Patton Oswalt turns up and oh, yeah. Martin Mull and the great you, Laurie. I mean, it's a, it's also a cast of an all-time cast. The, the, those crazy Bacadol runs, you know, which just get really foul. The writers so were just funny. like, like line up to write them. And one year... We took one of these runs where he kind of, you know, said something like, you know, wipe the crusty jizz out of your hair while you're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And we made a T-shirt, a crew shirt out of it to give out whatever. And it was basically like no one could wear the shirt unless it was under something because it was just this just foul run on the back of the shirt. It was just kind of great. Yeah, it's a it's a great we were talking before we turned the mics on. It's a great show for jokes. For joke writing. I mean, and it must have been cathartic for the oh, writers yeah, to yeah. just to put, and, and for Julia to say those things and commit to them the way she did. Yeah. So er- everybody find that. Everybody knows your your wonderful work on Seinfeld and Curb. Uh, will you be involved with Curb going forward? If Larry, No, uh, I, I always, you know, like sometimes they send me one to read or I drop, I you know, before the pandemic, I swung by the office uh, and uh, I think I, oh no, God, that was the previous season. Jesus, no, the new season, no. But the one, the season that just aired, I had managed to go by early on and kind of like threw something into one of the episodes, which was really fun. But unfortunately, it just the timing is always wrong. I'm they're always shooting when I'm doing something else. So yeah, sorry. that's too bad. Yeah. And uh, and we want we want to thank Andrew Buss, our friend. Yes, who, for uh, putting this all who, together. Who, yeah, who helped put this together, and we'll plug the podcast because you're going to do a season two. Yeah, we're, we yes. we got the green light for uh, stuff that dreams are made of. So please check it out on all your podcasts, whatever, whatever's. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, the podcast is called uh, Stuff Dreams Are Made Of. Give, give him a little Sydney Green Street since he's such a... Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, you are a character, sir. I do enjoy talking to a man who enjoys to talk. I actually, <laughs> you're going to laugh, I do love, I do enjoy talking to a man who likes to talk, was my, was my yearbook quote. I love it. My high school yearbook <laughs> quote. Yeah. I love it. We... <laughs> We've we've come full circle, yep. David. You're the per- you're the perfect guest. This was, uh, th- guys. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. Honestly, oh, I I I, 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 I forget. Just, but thank you. I just want to say. Oh, that. So yeah, it was our was, pl- it was our, dream, it was our pleasure. And a- dream come true. Like I said, yeah. I just pleasure. remembered a line, another one of my favorite lines in Maltese Falcon, um, uh, where like the cops are there questioning them and the stories are changing back and forth. Oh, at, at his at his apartment. That that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh huh. And and Laurie puts on his coat and picks up his cane, and they go, "Where do you think you're going?" And he goes, "I'm not going anywhere. It's getting quite late." <laughs> <laughs> Can Michael McKean do that, Peter Laurie? I ask you. <laughs> David, a, th- a thrill and a kick, and you know, uh, come back often because uh, honestly, we could we, we could do hours with you anytime. Honestly, uh, I would honestly anytime again. Uh, this was a, a true dream, and I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna gush one last time to end. Uh, uh, 
Gilbert Gottfried, truly, an, on, honestly, uh, just I have been a fan forever. So I'm just going to end on that note. And uh, thank you. This what, was really fun. What, yeah. What do you think of I that, Joe? And, and I really enjoyed doing that episode. Of, I have uh, love. I'm such Kirby. a big fan. I love not <laughs> casting you in everything I do. Yeah. <laughs> I saw Clint Howard in a movie the other day. He was in that movie, Ed TV. And all, all I could think of was Gilbert signing off with Clint when we had him on the show. Tell your brother to go fuck himself. Never cast him. it's, we have the, the most unique sign-offs in the business. It has been my pleasure to never cast you, so thank you. I am a huge they, fan. It's my pleasure well, to never catch you. Hey, good news. You're in the majority. Good news. We just got Curtis Armstrong to play Sergeant McCluskey in the lesbian <laughs> private eye movie. Good news. <laughs> All right, uh, Gil. We, I guess we should sign off. Uh, yes. Uh, well, this has been, I was saying hello. Uh, yeah. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast. With my co-host Frank Santo Padre and our guest David Mandel, who will never fucking hire me. <laughs> he, he's he's young yet. <laughs> no, I, I promise. That's a promise. <laughs> thank you, David. We appreciate we appreciate it. Uh, thank you. That was wonderful. Okay, pal. Bye bye.